Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, in the Element Well Studios, along with Rhino, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Friday, y'all. Is it going to rain tomorrow for the JSU game? I honestly haven't looked since about 6 o'clock last night, so let me get an update. Last I checked, it was 90%. I think the timing of the weather moving through is in question. I hope it doesn't. I really do. That would uh, tend to be an issue. Certainly they have a contingency plan for that. I guess they drape tents or something over. What do you see? It uh, looks like rain and showers overnight into the early morning with a pretty good chance around 90% of thunderstorms. From 9.30-ish to about 6 o'clock Jeez. in the afternoon. Okay. Followed by more showers and showers and then few showers by 10 o'clock. Okay. So a little weather system moving through central Mississippi might rain on the parade, as they say. Huh. Well... It just means there will be plenty of capitalistic opportunity to sell <laughs> parkas. That's right. And umbrellas. Yeah, ponchos, right? <laughs> Okay, ought to be good. So, last night, Paul Pelosi, husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, attacked with a hammer at the House in San Francisco. Hmm. A male assailant did this early this morning. That's what law enforcement says. Mr. Pelosi is 82. He's hospitalized. is expected to make a full recovery. Uh, well, you don't want to see any crime. Don't want to see anybody assaulted, attacked, beat up, hurt. That's inhumane. It's immoral. It's sick. But it's it's hard to see silver linings anytime you have an incident like this. And I'm not sure there is one. But I pray that Ms. Pelosi now sees what most of America has been squawking about, which is this rash of crime that has engulfed our country, I think largely driven by the left's not only dismissal of it, but honestly push to implement policies, certainly at the local, county, and to some extent state level. Illinois is an example at state level where we're just decriminalizing crime. And in many situations, 
villainizing, demonizing victims. Now, this is terrible, and this is not necessarily my opinion. It's, it's not my opinion. I don't care what the race is of the attacker. Really don't. All I care about is the fact that they broke the law and they need to be punished to the full extent. Don't care what their race is. Yeah, it is oddly telling on a lot of people across the political spectrum of social media who are trying to will into existence certain aspects of this attack. And it's just it's sickening. It, it is. And, and, I, and my, my statement as a preface to, I, I do believe there are some, like you said, when you looked at social media, that is sick. There's some other and sick it's both pe- sides. No doubt about it. I, I totally agree. You've got one side willing into existence that it's an illegal immigrant. Right. You've got another side willing into existence that it's a far-right radical. And it's like, there's zero evidence either direction. You're just spreading rumors and spouting nonsense. Yeah, and, and I think <clears throat> there's a, there's, there would be a contingent of leftists that are hoping it's not a minority. Right? Hoping that. Because a lot of these woke justice policies are driven by that. Trying to manipulate the statistics rather than being honest about it and addressing true societal, cultural root causes. No, they just want to, let's like everything else, let's just change the standards to produce the desired outcome. And until we get back to the concept on which this country was founded, where it don't matter, right? It's blind justice. We don't care. Yes or no, you broke the law. Period. It's all that matters. And until we get back to that, I think this kind of nonsense is going to continue. But the left is determined determined to try to introduce all these crazy policies that suit their narrative there, in in some twisted way believe they derive political power from it. I don't think they do. Minorities don't want to be, they don't want to live in crime-ridden communities either. They don't care, they just want to be safe. I think that's clear. You've seen outcries from minorities who have been victims. This has got to stop. Man, I hope, I hope that, at first, we want Mr. Pelosi to recover. We want him to be well. And it, in all indications are, he, he's going to be fine. And we're, we're thankful, grateful for that. But we've got to have a serious discussion about this in this country. And I hope they see that. And, and of course, Rhino, she's not the first on the left that has been a victim of, uh, of such crimes, right? No. And we, we've seen this across the country, and you just got to hope that, don't you see? Don't you wake up? And because you want to punish people who commit crimes, that doesn't deem you a racist. It's, it's the same old tired story of, what about just the nuance of, no, you can you not be a racist or not harbor racial attitudes, but still want to punish people 
if they commit crimes. Well, that's because that nuance doesn't really work with their fabricated, manufactured nuance of critical race theory. That's true. That's the nuance they want to make everything exist in, and it's, it's just not real. And, and a lot of that's rooted in this refusal to accept personal responsibility for anything. It's point fingers. It's always something else's fault, somebody else's fault. And you know what? That starts with the president. He made some crazy comment yesterday. I, I may have sent you some sound on that about the price of gas. And he was just totally wrong about it. And I don't think he knows. They just feed him info. Stick it in the dead gum teleprompter, and he just recites it. But it was complete farcical nonsense about when he took over as the president, what the price of gas is and what it is now. He's just wrong about that. You got that? Today, the most common price of gas in America is $3.39, down from over $5 when I took office. Huh? It was $5 when he took office. I checked it out. I think it was 239 or something, right? Yeah, depending on where you were, but right. the average across the country was in the upper 230s. So it wasn't 5 bucks. No, nowhere close. He's lies. And all Well, let me take it back. Not nowhere close. It was $5 in California. Well, okay. But it's always $5. But that's not the average and he's clearly referred referring to the the average here. Right. Oh gosh, it's just uh, it's just unbelievable. It's day after day, and unfortunately, there are legions of loyalists to the brand there, the Democrat brand, that believe all that stuff, consume it, and take it to the bank as gospel truth. And I, I hope that those lies are countered effectively. I, I feel like Republicans honestly could do a better job uh, with that. I mean, where's Mitch McConnell? He, he, like, right after that, ought to make some statement. He's the leader or, or the minority leader of the Senate. Certainly he's got the power to summon the press to make such a statement that would get national attention. That just ought to happen immediately. But he doesn't seem to have the desire, the energy to do that, and that, that bothers me. That, that, that's because you just let the, them get away with the lies. We're going to take a break right here in the Element Well Studios. When we return, it's Brian Flowers. He's a candidate for Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District. He'll be taking on Congressman Benny Thompson in a week, in a couple of days. It's right around the corner. Stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. 
back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Rhino bumping us into this segment with the obligatory George Jones Finally Friday. <laughs> staple. Always a good one. <laughs> That's right. Always uh, a staple here on Middays on Fridays. Brian Flowers, candidate for Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District in the Element Well Studios. Brian, good to see you. Thanks, sir. Glad to be here. How's the campaign going? Man, it could not be better. We are inching closer and closer to that victory, I promise you. And people keep saying, well, you ain't going to beat Benny. Watch me do it. <laughs> well, it's it's a rather interesting district once it got redrawn, right? It's uh, yes. certainly north to south. It's pretty it's pretty pretty big, this geographically is, speaking. This thing is huge. Yeah. Uh, it's big enough to where, uh, you know, even Benny Thompson made the comment when it first got drawn, it's almost impossible for anybody to to maintain. And he's right. Uh, and I've already combated that and put a model together on how I plan intend on doing this by basically dividing it up into thirds. I've got a northern area manager, a central area manager, and a southern area manager, which I'll report to my campaign okay. manager, which in turn reports to me. Okay. But you, you divide it up. And you're able to maintain, you basically, instead of trying to cover everything, you block it off into sections. And it makes it a little bit more easier to manage. Okay. What are you hearing from the voters? What, and what are you hearing from them? And what are you telling them your intentions are and where you stand on those issues? Well, I've been to several festivals here the last couple of weekends. Um, and, and, you know, one in particular person, uh, you know, basically came up to me and said, Mr. Flowers, we're tired of it. We didn't want to be put in Benny Thompson's district in the first place. We got thrown into this without any say-so. Uh, and, and that seems to be the typical um, response when I talk to people down in the four new counties that we picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it just depends on where you're at. The, the farmers, they're still crying for the pumps. They're, they're hollering and, 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 and telling me they need the pumps. Hmm. And and it's not just the farmers. It's the people that are retired down there, um, families that live down there and just transit from, you know, from there to into Vicksburg to work. Um, it just depends on where you're at. But a, a lot of it, and it all boils down to the same, uh, the same people uh, that are causing all this, again, Benny Thompson, uh, and a lot, uh, a large part of it. Uh, they're tired of it, hmm. and you're seeing more and more people sitting there, <clears throat> excuse me, turning and saying that used to vote Democrat. Now, nah, after they've talked to me and I tell them what I'm wanting to do in their particular area, they're hmm. they're siding with me now. Are you hearing that as well, Brian, from black voters who who may feel some degree of allegiance to Congressman Thompson just because he is black? I am, uh, you know, and, and a lot of it, you know, that allegiance is uh, dwindling. Um, just a, what was it, two weekends ago, I was down in Natchez at one of the festivals down there, um, right outside the Bloom Festival. Mm-hmm. And one guy sat there and he looks at it, sees my sign up there, and he sees the little elephant on there. He's like, you Republican? <laughs> and I tell him, I was like, I'm a conservative. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I'm Democrat. <laughs> so I'm here about the people. I could care less about which party you belong to. I'm wanting to focus on ser- serving the people of District 2. And he just sits there and he looks at me. He's like, I like that answer. <laughs> and he willingly takes my push card and says, I'm going to do some research on you. Thank you very much. And he shakes my hand. To me, that is a win. Somebody that is self-proclaimed Democrat, I'm going to vote Democrat. And then after just me interacting with him for a split second, at least giving them planting the seed and have them go do the research instead of just blindly voting straight ticket. 
Right. That, to me, is a win. So uh, I'm sure you're aware the, uh, the polls nationwide show that the top of the list is uh, inflation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then followed closely by crime, and then the chaos at the border seems to be where most folks uh, are prioritizing their their issues as we head into the midterms. Are you finding that to be the case in the district? I am. Uh, a lot of people, especially with the inflation, uh, sp- uh, talking with people about that, it's basically how are the, how are things at the gas pump for you? How are how are things uh, getting commodities from Walmart? Um, how about grocery stores? And people, I'm finding the the poverty, the people that are already in poverty, especially up in the Delta area, they are even more in poverty now in, in right. dire need of help. Right. And the people that are in the lower middle class are now slipping into the poverty level. And you're, you're finding that people that were on food stamps and any type of government assistance – it's not they're not getting extra government assistance they're not getting extra food stamps so what they're what they're getting is they're really having a difficult time and they're they're asking for somebody to help them out here and not so much for a, another handout but they need help in getting jobs putting uh food on the table and that's what my main focus is is to bring more jobs to this district so we can get uh, more people employed, get more people off of the food stamps, and be able to uh, get food on the table and feed their kids. Is that well-received when you explain that to them, Brian? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, I mean, I've got people calling me from Franklin County telling me, Mr. Flowers, we don't have anything. We need jobs down here. Right. All the jobs have left. Uh, that's just in Franklin County. I think we've discussed uh, on your show before up in Cleveland area. They used to have multiple industries up there. They're down to one or two now. Right. So, I mean, it. Benny Thompson in 29 years has driven out every single one of the jobs in the uh, District 2 of old, right? Right. Uh, now that we have four new counties, we have even more people that are in need of bringing more jobs in. So, I mean, it's it's got – somebody needs to step up and, and actually put forth effort for the people on the people's behalf instead of on their own behalf and filling and padding their pocket. So the, this need for jobs, which which I believe is the case, certainly in uh, your district that you're mm-hmm. running for, uh, how would you approach that? What what kind of ideas do you have to try to attract industry uh, into the district to create these jobs? Well, first and foremost, I mean, you need to have uh, the infrastructure to support that job. This farce of a uh, infrastructure plan that they pushed through earlier this year Give you an example. Only six percent of it was uh, indicated to go for roads and bridges. Right. Six percent. That's not going to do it. We need to rescind that and put forth an actual infrastructure bill that is actually going to do the job of fixing our states. And, and I mean that in, in all fifty states. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to put something together that's going to uh, fix the problem as far as the infrastructure. Get that in place. Then it would be up to people like me sitting there calling these individual companies saying, Mr. President of your company, I'd like to invite you to come down. We want to talk to you about bringing a possible job into here. And just kind of working with these uh, companies to kind of in- entice them to come on down here, not so much with money or anything else, but saying, hey, look, you've got all this industry potential down here. We need to put these people to work. 
they can uh, help expand your company. So I, I do believe a member of Congress could serve as an effective ambassador, if you will, and representative for the state to the private sector to try right. to attract interest. Is Congressman Thompson doing any of that, to your knowledge? No. In fact, uh, when uh, Clinton got their uh, Continental Tire Company, he got all mad because he wasn't even involved with it. So um, he, he has been out of the loop. He has been driving corporations away instead of inviting them in. So, no, he's not helping matters at all. What do you hear from the district, Brian, about uh, Congressman Thompson's oversight of this this uh, January 6th committee that uh, he's really been pushing and they just won't give up on? There are many, many people that are, just like you and I are, just upset with the whole um, January 6th commission being started. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some out there that believe that he's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Sure. But, uh, and, and, you know, for the majority of the people that I've been talking to, you know, they're all getting tired of it. You know, they think that they're pushing uh, false narratives at this point. Um, and that's from the majority. And it doesn't matter if it's white or black. Uh, they, they feel that, you know, after you see in things like uh, uh, Congressman Shift altering texts to make a certain narrative, you know, to what they want to say, hmm. you know, that kind of shed a little light on things. And then they try to recreate uh, President Trump's state of mind the other week without getting any testimony from anybody on his campaign, from him or anything else. They're going to make it sound uh, what they want it to. I guess the question is, uh, maybe to just restate, do the voters of the, the second district think that's a, a high priority for them at this point? I don't think so. Uh, they're more worried about uh, food on the play, uh, table. Right. They're worried about gas in their car sure. so they can get to work. Um, that is their main focus. Uh, another focus would be the uh, fentanyl coming across the uh, border. Sure. Uh, we need to get that secure. So that is the biggest thing is the drugs, the crime, and the food. Yeah. Well... Keep pushing it, uh, you know, and listening to the voters and responding to what they say are their priorities. That's, to me, what a representative uh, ought to do. Appreciate you coming in, Brian. Good luck to you. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Brian Flowers, candidate for Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District, has been our guest on Middays. We'll step aside for a break. We're in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. family and your bank account it's all right here and when you're away from home depend on the super talk app and supertalk.fm to stay in the know we're proud to serve our fellow mississippians super talk mississippi middays with gerard gibbert welcome welcome to our show on super talk mississippi okay now you have a good one Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios on this. 
Friday, y'all. Coming up at 11.05, J.T. Mitchell, News Director, Super Talk Mississippi News. And at 12.05, Martin Hegwood, author and winner of the 2022 Faulkner Literary Competition. We'll talk about his literary works. Should be fun. And looking forward to get an update from our News Director, J.T. Mitchell. I thought the Speaker of the House had Secret Service protection. Wouldn't um, her home have security, says Mose. Actually, that's that's not the case, Mose. Secret Service only covers the the president, uh, the vice president, uh, other individuals, uh, in, including their families. That's it. So they they could hire personal security details, but the speaker does not is not afforded Secret Service protection. Well, around Unless the Capitol, they get the, uh, what do they call it? A national special something event, national special security event. Okay, that's well, when they protect people that they don't normally protect. Okay, so it it trigger them to be mobilized and yeah. protecting them. But no, that's they, usually the only time they protect someone not involved in the presidency, a former president, or a major head of state from another country visiting. Gotcha. So they they don't. The Capitol Police, of course do make up the detail that does protect the speaker. They do get some degree of protection there, but not their personal residences and just constant Secret Service accompaniment only for the president and vice president. So it, it you know, you do wonder what kind of security, physical security and so forth, she had installed at her home. I, I think it's a, like a $5 million mansion or something. In San Francisco, but I mean it's not perfect, right? Those kinds of things. So no, and you remember there was a protester in February. Maybe it was earlier than that. Maybe it was later. I don't remember exactly. But his form of protest was to uh, defecate outside her house. Oh, that'll do it, won't it? Jeez. When in Washington, she has protection from Capitol Police, Scott and Clinton. Yeah, that's. That's what we saw as well, Scott, is that uh, the Capitol Police do. And and if I'm not mistaken, what's different with respect to the Speaker is that they uh, literally uh, accompany the Speaker um, in Washington, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I don't know if they do once they get off Capitol Hill, honestly. But certainly on Capitol Hill, if you noticed any time you see her, uh, video of her, if it's wide angle enough in the Capitol, you can always see what appears to be security detail, which are Capitol Police around her. Anyhow, uh, Jeff says Mitch McConnell should try to hold Joe Biden accountable, but Mitch McConnell is too lazy to hold a press conference. Yeah, that's just in response to all these lies that the president spews, and they just are. They're just outright lies. Uh, just this week, right, he said that student loan Forgiveness was passed as legislation by a couple of votes, I think. It just wasn't. He did it via executive order. Of course, there's a halt on that. There's a pause on that right now. But so, How could you get that wrong? Well, I mean, if you uh, apply Occam's razor. What? <laughs> simplest explanation is often the, the one that's true. Ah, Okay. It well, could very well be that he doesn't have a clue. They just put a piece of paper in front of him and said, here, here's student loans. And he signed it thinking, oh, yeah, I'm signing a law. Oh, gosh. Well, that's bad. 
Tim in McGee says, I do pray for Mr. Pelosi to make a full recovery. 82 years old and that happens is sick. I, I agree. Can What's going through a person's mind when you engage in such an act of cowardice by beating an 82-year-old man with a hammer? What are you thinking? I mean, it's, it's bad enough when you commit acts of violence against others who have some degree of ability, maybe, to defend themselves, younger and, and stronger. But it's, it's even more heinous when it's against someone who's vulnerable. And you see that a lot. Oh, that's an easy target. You know, uh, uh, an older, frail person that might have a wallet on them with 20 bucks in it, I'm just going to go beat them to a pulp and get that 20 bucks. Well, because, after all, the government says I deserve it. I've been wronged. And that's the problem with this narrative. I mean, when you, when you try to inject, for example, race into every issue, like the president did a couple of days ago, trying to suggest that, that fees for more legroom on seats on commercial flights is racist and it disproportionately affects low-income travelers and people of color. This is what he said. You know, i got to tell you, I've never seen a situation where you didn't know up front you were paying more money when you selected a seat, certainly when you make those reservations online, which is the typical way people schedule their travel. I've never seen that. I've done countless. Even back to the early days of the ability to reserve flights online, I, I've never seen that before. I mean, you know clearly this is what you're paying. Here are your choices. I mean, all the apps and uh, the full-scale websites will display the seating on the whole dang airplane. Right? You get a chart. Color-coded chart. Here's what's available, here's what's not. You can hover your mouse around it, and it'll tell you what the class is and what the cost is. I mean, it, the, the tools are great, honestly. I've never been confused about that. I've never seen any, oh, well, I wanted to buy that ticket for X dollars, and based on the seat I got, I just got the bill, and it was X dollars times another 10% because of this. I've never seen that before. What's he talking about? It's a man that's just out of touch. He's never done that in his life, probably, right? He's got servants that do all that for him. AIDS. Seriously. It, What's it, the old saying? The soft bigotry of low expectations? That's it. So that, uh, again, that's just those are just lies that I think need to be debunked. Looking at your money today, the Dow, this is crazy. So the Dow's up 613 points. But what is really shocking is that investors have decided now, after seeing earnings reports this week from big tech, they've decided that maybe Apple and Microsoft, for sure, have hit their lows. And there's been some adjustment of their target prices by the big Wall Street banks. But anyhow, today, Apple is up considerably, 
and uh, so is Microsoft. Apple is up thirty. Uh, excuse me, ten percent. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. Seven point eight percent. Microsoft's up six and change. Two point eight percent. What's getting beat up, however, is Amazon. Amazon, their stock tumbled, and Meta's stock tumbled. But Microsoft and Apple have this, this very valuable, very valuable assets. In particular, their cloud, Microsoft's cloud business, and Amazon, of course, they got those phones we all got to have, and all the services we pay to be, uh, to be uh, Apple phone owners. But once again, this is this is something that I think always comes as a bit of surprise. Did you see Jim Cramer yesterday? I did. I absolutely did. Break so, down in tears. And he did so because he felt bad about recommending Facebook Meta a few months ago. I actually it, got that audio. Yeah, play it. This was bizarre. Cash flow last year, nine point five billion. Now less than one billion. Yeah, let me say this about this. I made a mistake here. I was wrong. I trusted this management team. That was ill-advised. Hubris here is extraordinary. And I apologize. Okay. Um, what did you get wrong? It was unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I've never seen it. Now, I'm no Kramer fan. I think he's more entertainment than he is serious investment advice. But I know people that follow him religiously. If you don't know who he is, it's Jim Kramer. He's been doing it 40 years, as he said. And, again, he's, he's a wild man. The show's entertaining, no doubt about that. But, yeah, I mean, he's tearing up there, right? I mean, he's tearing up because... He felt like he gave bad advice. So Apple, excuse me, Facebook, Meta comes out Wednesday, and the news was bad. I mean, just bad across the board. Revenue. They spent $700 billion on their weird so virtual reality world. Stupid. And a few months ago, he was thinking, yeah, this is it. This is a huge growth area. They're going to capitalize on this and produce record profits, and just quite the opposite happened. And he's apologizing to those who he recommended get in. I'll have to look it up, but the amount of wealth lost. Hey, it's Richard Cross. Be sure to catch Sports Talk Mississippi, your new home for the best sports coverage right here in the Magnolia State. Every day from 3 until 6, right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, Middays, Gerard and Rhino on this. Friday, y'all. So, I, anyhow, I just wanted to kind of continue that discussion. It's, it's always intriguing for people when they learn that, once again, Amazon lost money in their e-commerce business. 
they have perennially except for uh, 2020. When we were all locked up. Uh, other than that, it's just a loser. So you say, well, where, where do they make their, mo- their money? They make it from Amazon Web Services. So operating income at Amazon, uh, and that was just reported yesterday, and this is on, I believe, sales of, it's kind of hard to believe, $145 billion in a quarter. So that puts them on a run rate, annualized run rate, of $640 billion. So you would think, wow, $640 billion, they got to be just rolling in cash, net income. So on $140 billion of sales, $145 for the quarter, they made $2.53 billion. $2.53 billion. Now, you can do the math on that. That's about 1.5%. To the bottom line. That's pathetic. And Amazon Web Services accounted for 100% of the company's profit. It generated $5.4 billion of net income. $5.4 billion. So you can do the math. They made 2.5 overall. Web Services made 5.4. That means they lost $2 billion in the uh, e-commerce business. All that stuff we go buy online yet. And I bring this up because normally when you hear the left attack those dirty, greedy, evil, dastardly corporations, they don't pay their fair share. They will usually invoke Amazon in that because for years they paid no taxes. They paid no taxes because they were applying their accumulated losses during the startup period to their very meager profits when they finally turned the corner and became profitable, that plus massive go billions of dollars of investment in, in uh, capital equipment that, uh, and assets that qualified for immediate write-off in the year of investment. Now, that's why they didn't have a profit. Now, the president, so when you look at this, and you go look at their financial statements, uh, he's going to say they got to pay a minimum of, of 15% from a tax perspective because even though they made $2.5 billion, I guarantee you, once they, that's for financial statement purposes, once they deduct their carried over losses and their massive investment in capital equipment for tax purposes, they're not going to have a tax liability. Yet they're still going to have to pay that 15% of the 2.5, so about, um, what, $300 million in taxes. All right, they ain't going to like that. I mean, so that's what the left wants to do in this country. They just don't get all these nuances. They, they, rather, they, they want to, to run around and, and uh, push this narrative. These corporations are just cheating, not paying any taxes, without taking into regard the losses a company like this accumulated and all the investment they make, which benefits, guess what, small, mid-sized businesses to a great extent who sell them all that stuff. Just like the big facility they built here in Madison. Lots of local companies benefited from that. Lots of them. And the investment they made in that, they're able to write off. That's not what Joe and the Democrats want. So it's just, it's so twisted. 
in the meantime, Apple did give some negative guidance. Microsoft gave some ne- negative guidance. We talked yesterday about Seagate laying off a bunch of people. So, And I say all this because I think we're just starting to see the beginning of what could be a substantial decline in economic activity going into 2023 that Joe and the Democrats refuse to acknowledge. They bring out now their savior, Barack Obama. They got him out recording ads all over the place, including in Pennsylvania. And it's woman's right to choose. That's kind of the focal point of all the ads. That's what they want to focus on. And voting rights, because voting restrictions are just racist, (laughs) and they're still running with that narrative, but I dare say, based on all the polls, that's not what's top of folks' mind as they enter the midterms. The good news is, folks, Rasmussen yesterday, Rhino after the show, had some recent telephone polling. Now, Rasmussen's pretty good, actually. They're, they're, They're probably the most reputable polling organization. They got Herschel Walker up five points. They got Oz up. They got uh, Zeldin in New York up. They got it a toss-up in Arizona now for the Senate race. It's looking pretty good if you go by Rasmussen. I think the worm has turned. I think people see this crap. I, I pray. I hope so. We got to stop it. We're coming right back with J.T. Mitchell. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays from the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, Gerard and Rhino on this Friday, y'all. Joining us now in the studios, J.T. Mitchell, the news director for Super Talk Mississippi News. J.T., what's up? Hey, man. How are you, Gerard? Great. Thanks for having me, as always. You having a good Friday? I am. Good. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on. We're trying to get through this Friday and get to the weekend. Because, you know, for some reason, the news slows down a little bit <laughs> over the course of the weekend. I don't know if that's because of lack of reporters. Um, a little. And Mississippi, we care a lot about college football, and so yep. it seems to be pretty football-oriented on Saturdays. And we'll get around to that, because it's a big week into football here in Mississippi. But first, let's uh, talk about what's on the front page of a lot of Mississippi publications right now. And that's what's going on in the health world. This whole uh, UMC, Blue Cross, Blue Shield mess. Um, yesterday at Hobnob, Mississippi, which is the MEC's annual political networking event, about a thousand people showed up, and not all of the state officials brought up um, the health care situation, but Commissioner Cheney, obviously Insurance Commissioner, and Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman did. They did. Um, and man, Commissioner Cheney was hot. You know, I haven't seen him that fired up in a while. <laughs> we had. Uh, he wants this thing resolved. Bottom line, I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, and so he came back up around the station this morning and came on a gallows show. Um, but there's a lot, there's a multitude of storylines going on here. Sure. So the first one, obviously, is this whole dispute, the squabble between UMC and Blue Cross Blue Shield. That's ongoing, yeah. not resolved, hasn't been resolved since April. Right. And that's leaving a lot of Mississippians, uh, you know, out of network. And, um, Cheney said yesterday at Hobnob, you know, there could be an agreement by Monday. And I was like, well, that sounds awesome. 
But then this morning, uh, after he met with both parties yesterday after Hobnob, I wouldn't get my hopes up okay. for it to be met in agreement. I mean, it'd be great if so. Um, but I think Rhino has a clip from this morning. Uh, so don't get your hopes up for an agreement to be met. I'm mad, Paul. You got 750,000 Mississippians, not all Mississippians, but policyholders of Blue Cross Blue Shield out of network with the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And they are being used as pawns by Blue Cross and by the university. Uh, they don't agree with my statement, but they're being used and have been since the 1st of April to try to get more money out of Blue Cross. And Blue Cross is, is capable of paying more money to the university for medical services, but they're using people as pawns, and they're the ones that are suffering. Hmm. Interesting. He's hot. Yeah. And, you know, he said that UMC wants more money. Blue Cross Blue Shield could give more money, but both are wrong. Hmm. He said, let's get it figured out. Interesting. Okay. Did he offer a plan? A, um, a compromise? You know, he said that where we're at right now, uh, I kind of, he said, I kind of expect, uh, paraphrasing, the legislature to step in. Uh, but I don't want that to happen. I don't believe that's the proper route. Um, so we'll see where it all goes. Okay. The session's just around the corner. But I, I know a lot of Mississippians uh, want that to be figured out soon. No doubt. So, uh, kind of in the same realm, um, but another storyline regarding UMC that came up yesterday at Hobnob as well is mm-hmm. that uh, UMC alleged. So, this is separate from the squabble, but uh, UMC allegedly told a Medicaid managed care group, was not named, that um, if they don't provide an estimated 15% to reimbursements, they're possibly going to remove all the people that are covered by that plan. Just remove them. So that's the removal of 100,000 Medicaid users, Jeez. all ages, children. And Cheney was upset about that. You know, mm. He said, that's a huge issue again. That's another mm. issue we have right now. He's mad at UMC. He's mad at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And as mm. insurance commissioner, he wants to see it all figured out. Mm. Um, but I, I really recommend people dive into this because there's a lot going on. Um, I'm trying to wrap my head around it all. I think we all are. A lot of moving parts, no doubt. And if there were just solutions, we wouldn't have to, you know. Um, and also, speaking of hospitals, um, Greenwood Lafleur, that's an issue in itself. They have been um, on this downhill of just terrible things happening, and you know they only had enough money to last through the end of the calendar year. After everything that's gone on, they were in talks with UMC to buy them out. Right. And now it seems, from what I've heard um, from a couple sources, that 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 might not happen. It's not looking great. Hmm. It's looking like those talks have soured a little bit. Hmm. And I don't know the behind reasonings, but I cannot imagine a hospital not being in Greenwood, Mississippi. Right. What's the, I mean that we talk about water here in Jackson, human right. Mm-hmm. Healthcare, human right. Mm-hmm. And in Greenwood, Mississippi, if I had to guess, the closest hospital is what? Indianola? I guess so. Is there one it's in 40, Indianola? 40, it's small, yeah. but it's 40 minutes. Yeah. Well, what do I do if I have a heart attack? Hmm. Just, if I live in Greenwood, it's okay. I mean, hmm. I might make it. Hmm. You know, it sounds like a human right we got to get figured out, correct? Just like the water here in Jackson. So. I'm just covering it, but I am hoping and hopeful that solutions to all of the above will come about sooner rather than later, hopefully. Um, We'll move on a little bit. Yeah. Let's move on. Very complex stuff. Yeah, you can hear all that on air, uh, continue to be covered by the news team throughout the day, but also online at supertalk.fm. So, uh, earlier this week, Frederick Bell, did you see the parole board reversed course and has decided to keep him incarcerated? And, you know, 
that was the largest public outcry I've seen in a while in terms of a parole mm-hmm. hearing. Uh, it happens. You feel every now and then. Um, but Bell, he brutally murdered two people in May of 1991. The parole board voted, hey, we're going to let him out. It seems like he's been rehabbed. Right. And there was a huge public outcry. I think between the time that it was delayed because of the newspaper technicality, September 26, and October 26, which was this past Wednesday, 2,000 letters and emails wow. were read into the parole board. Do you think that influenced? I, I, would, would, think, I right? would assume so. I think but the family did as well. The family right? did a whole lot, yeah. and also when elected officials step in. There's something about that when elected officials and step they in. Did. They yeah. did. Yeah, the family, they did a good job of getting out there. I think Gene, so. he came on a couple of the programs he here. Um, and I get it. You know, yeah. that has to be something hard if my brother was killed and I find out that his killer has been rehabbed without proof and he's going to be on the streets again in my hometown where my brother was killed. And really, the family ought to be the priority uh, in terms of influencing the parole board, in my view. Right. Um, I'd like to know more, uh, you know, I, I ha- in terms of what went into the decision to reverse it all. Mm, I agree. Obviously, the outcry. Well, the original decision was perplexing, and then something happened, they reversed it. And it would know, be interesting to know kind of the uh, the progress through that, the sequence. The progress, and on, honestly, the first decision. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, I, how did they come up with that? Yeah, show me, I want to see the evidence of rehabilitation. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty hard. You know, like when we were... Covering this, I felt like I was working through one of those crime podcasts that, like Ashley Flowers <laughs> does, you know, um, a killer who's been in prison for 31 years could now be free come yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. Like, it sounded Bizarre. like one of those podcasts, but he, he will now be in prison for at least two more years, and then they can revisit. Right. Um so I guess on a happier note, we'll move to college game day. Yeah. You had a fantastic interview with Rob J. earlier yeah, this week. Yeah, that was week. fun. Yeah. Huge, huge weekend. It is. There's me traffic. Uh, right now, Caleb's writing up, uh, one of our multimedia journalists is writing up, uh, you know, things to know for College Game Day about tickets, okay. where to park, whatnot. And I was telling him, please just tell him not to park on my street. I live kind of <laughs> close to the vet. And even homecoming last week, my street was full. I didn't have a parking spot. Okay. Um, it's going to be full again. But but aside, it's, it's going to be a huge weekend for Jackson. I think so. Yeah. Um, and for the state, you know. HBCUs in general, and we don't know the guest picker yet, do we? We do not. When are they going to announce that? I thought that usually started trickling in Thursday, Friday, right? There's lots of speculation, though. I saw. Uh, obviously, you have the um, JSU's Hall of Famers. You got uh, Jackie Slater. Um, right. You got Eddie Payton, Walter's brother. Yeah. And you also have the celebrity aspect of it all with Coach Prime. You know, he could bring in anybody. Snoop Dogg and Rick Ross were there just last weekend for homecoming. Sure. Uh, somebody said Beyonce. She's been out of commission for a little while now. I haven't seen I much. I heard that name in a while. Right. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, somebody said Kevin Hart. He was at the opener in Miami. Uh, I just think it'd be kind of I, I think it'd be kind of lame if Dion was a guest picker, Coach yeah. Prime. They did that with Kiffin. Last year, yeah. Ole Miss um, was that game day when Seems Ole Miss like hosted A and M. They used Kiffin as a guest picker. I just thought that was kind of a buyout. If you're going to have a guest, you can you can of course you're going to do the interviews with the coach and not, but it's kind of a buyout to have the coach. Yeah, I um, agree. And I, I hope for at least the day and the days leading up to it, we can for just temporarily forget everything going on in Jackson and just enjoy. Right. You know, there's been a bunch of finger pointing. Rob J. and you as well said it best the other day. Stop finger pointing. Let's just enjoy, Absolutely. play some football, 
It's going to be a good day. Isn't that what people want? Yeah, it's what we all want. And I can't wait to tune in. We're going to have somebody on the ground as well. Um, speaking of football, last night Southern Miss that was a wild it game. It sure was. And if that opens up this weekend, it's going to be a great weekend of college football. Um, yeah, so we got State off, right? State's well, going to be off Ole Miss after and, uh, Alabama. Yeah. Ole Miss is going to be in College Station. Um, Southern's already played. JSU's tomorrow. That's right. Wow. It's going to be a big weekend. Big weekend. All right. Always good to have you on, JT. There's your favorite, The Doors. I appreciate it. I appreciate it always, man. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. with Lion Eyes bumping us into this segment on Middays. We appreciate you joining us today. Don't forget, in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azars, coming up later on this afternoon, you'll hear an interview with Clay Mills of the band Diamond Rio. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azars, presented by visitmississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m., on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. All right, so I'm looking uh, on the tube here, showing former President Barack Obama casting his ballot in the midterms on October 17th. The former president electing to vote early. So, how about that? I pray Mr. Pelosi will be fine, but if Donald Trump were attacked by Democrat, were attacked, Democrats would be dancing in the streets, says Jerry and Ponatop. Yeah, I think there's probably some truth to that, but I think Rhino pointed out the other side too is having their their fun, regrettably, right, with this situation with Mr. Pelosi. Yeah, it's insanity from both sides. Uh, it's it's sad to me to see that in society, honestly. That's just that's a separate matter. I don't agree whatsoever, I don't think, on any policy issues with Speaker of the House Pelosi. But I don't want anybody to be hurt, attacked, period. It's just not right. And, gosh, without that standard, without application of the law, on a consistent basis, which is what enrages a lot of people right now, because it's not being done. We got no country. That's that is the definition of a banana republic, honestly. So that's a concern. Uh, Jeff, let's see, in Forest County, says, "Question: I keep hearing the words socialism lackadaisically thrown around from right-wing media." Is police, fire, military, interstates, socialism. You see this a lot, don't you, Rhino? This is like a, 
This is like a common refrain from the left. What about the police, the fire, and the interstates? And they, they always point to that. Well, That's the majority of the left's talking points. They're all spoon-fed from think tanks filled with dumb people. <laughs> well, let's be honest, Jeff. That is not socialism. Now, I will admit that there are some people that are fairly close to anarchy or, or, or belief and support of anarchy. That would say that is. And they would like to see, honestly, those services privatized. I would think that's fair to say from really staunch libertarians. They would tell you that we could privatize police, fire, military, road building, etc. You agree with that, Rhino? You've seen that. Oh, yeah. From, from the, uh, those that would describe themselves as fairly uh, entrenched libertarians. You know, so... but that, I mean, they I'm, think driver's licenses are an affront to their civil, civil liberties. Correct. I've actually seen some say they don't believe that, say, for example, an airline pilot ought to have to go through various certifications to prove they can fly an airplane, that the market would attend to that. It's an interesting theory. But... Back to this idea of socialism, Jeff. That's really not socialism. Now, you may have some libertarians that would, that would again, like I said, say, no, that needs to be privatized. But that's still a different objection than saying, I object to it because it's socialism. Socialism, as classically and really widely defined, is just a, a political and economic concept that advocates for the means, distribution, quantity of production and the exchange of goods and services should be completely regulated and planned by, some would say, the community. But the community is represented by the government. By the government. So an example is when Joe Biden says, hey, airlines, you can't charge increased fees for getting more legroom on an airplane. Banks, you can't charge overdraft fees to those who write bad checks. That is an example of socialism. Hey, oil companies, you got to go lower the price now. I'm demanding, I'm, I'm requiring you to do so by law. Those are examples of socialism. And the list goes on and on. Liz Warren, for example, who wants to nationalize the banks, meaning she doesn't want private banking. Nationalizing and uh, the healthcare economy. And essentially transitioning that to complete government-run healthcare. That is socialism for that industry. And in fact, it wasn't too long ago, what was her name, Almarono, that was, that was nominated to be the controller of the currency, I believe. And she's the one who said she wanted to eliminate private banking. She wanted your checking account to be managed by the federal government. That is socialism. So this nonsense about police, fire, military, and interstates... It's just, it's really a long-in-the-tooth, weak, tired, overused 
nonsensical talking point. It's all to get somebody to say, yeah, I support police, fire, military being a function of government. That ain't socialism, though. So find something else, Jeff, because you're kind of out left field here, buddy. Uh, Not par for the course, though. I, I know. So how are private prisons working out, says Jeff. Honestly, Jeff, I don't know. But how are public prisons working out? There's problems there, too. Right? And it's, and it's uh, worth having a debate about that. But here's what gets me about the left. In general, they have this view that people in government and government overall is just superior to the private sector. Like, somehow if you work for government, you're just smarter you're just better, you're more productive, you're more efficient, you produce more, because you're part of government than the private sector. Taking into consideration not one iota that all this luxury, this prosperity, this quality of life we have, which is still better than anywhere else on the planet, it came about because of the private sector. Now, they would say, well, yeah, but without the military and the roads and the police and the fire, well, right. And so I, I would, you can put me down in the camp that says that's a core function of government. But also go ahead and add to that the caveat that our, our tax system and taxes collected should be designed to support the core functions of government. That ain't what's happening. We're way beyond that. We've expanded government way beyond its core function as enumerated in the Constitution. When I say that, I'm referring to what the Constitution would say. So the left has kind of hijacked that into this welfare clause stuff. You hear that all the time, like, oh, yeah, everything is in the interest of welfare. So we have a military, for example, that's way more focused on white rage and privilege walks, and now, guys, I read a report about ridiculous pornographic books and materials being used in the military's K-12 educational systems. It blew me away. This is the crap that's being taught in the classrooms. On base. On bases, correct. On the schools, on the bases for, for military personnel whose children attend those schools. Unbelievable. I really wish they'd worry about the threats from China and Russia and our most ardent foes that really want to dominate the world and wipe us off the planet. Not this crap. That's where I have a a problem. And when we come back, there are some folks that have got some work going on that is getting the attention of corporate America as to their ridiculous wokeness. And I think it's starting to have an impact. And I do believe if the midterms go favorably for the Republicans, to a great deal, it will be a result of that. And it will change attitudes and, I hope, change policies in these ridiculous woke corporations that are focused on this nonsense. 
Facebook better worry about making money instead of wokeness. I tell you that right now. We're coming back. Stay with us. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. We got some tickets to give away later on in the program. That's Brian Kilmeade. He's coming to the Brandon City Hall on November the 12th. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow up, speaking of wealth, 721 the president will no doubt, Rhino, take some victory laps over the GDP report yesterday, which did show a, a bit of uh, an increase in GDP, but economists are warning this cannot be man- maintained. Uh, again, there's so many signs of um, headwinds, problems for the economy going forward. We had a text on here. From Bo in Indianola, whom I believe is a truck driver, right, Bo? And he says, you can see the decline in freight on load boards last year for 200 miles around Indianola. It would pull up 500-plus at this point in time. It's 100. Yes, there's systems that show you, right, Bo, freight that's available for a trucker, especially an independent trucker, to uh, to carry. And um, you lock into those, right, Bo? And go pick them up and do the route, make the delivery. Yeah, so that and that's what we're hearing across the country, and and it's why big tech this week, across the board, all issued negative guidance about the future. They're concerned. We're we're just getting into it, honestly. And as the uh, interest rates continue to climb, it just becomes a bigger problem. It's the brakes being put on the economy by the Fed to try to curtail inflation and rein it in. Greenwood isn't the only hospital in trouble, unfortunately, on the C Spire text line. Yeah, that I think that's true, and what JT said is correct. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman talked about it as well, expressing concerns. Greenwood needs a hospital to take care of the wounded and daily fatalities from gun violence. Sad to say, but there have been around eight people killed this week. Wow. On the ceasefire text line. Gosh. Randy and Starkville says, all jokes aside, Morgan Freeman, the mayor of Vicksburg, J- Jerry Rice, talking about the guest picker for the JSU game, college game day. Yeah, Kurt from Boonville says they got the wrong Pelosi. That just was released, Rhino. You see that? that yeah. Evidently, the assailant was looking for the speaker in the house and encountered the speaker's husband. Could he just walk out? Why do you have to beat him up? Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. 
If we could just come together as a country, Washington's party would be over on the ceasefire tax line. Uh, yeah. We are so divided on key issues, though. I mean, we're we more than ever. Forget about just the cultural division in the in the country. Just think about the policy division in the country. We're not even close anymore. It's it's hard to find any common ground whatsoever. The state of Oregon will be voting on socialized health care in the uh, coming midterm election, says Karen and Ripley. Everyone should be watching on how that goes. Yes, yeah, so what's, what's happening, folks, is they have a measure on the ballot, Measure 111. Get this. It would establish a right to cost, quote, cost-effective, clinically appropriate, and affordable health care for every Oregon resident. This amendment would require the state to balance the obligation of ensuring a right to health care against funding public schools and other essential public services. This amendment also states that legal remedies for lawsuits brought against the proposed section may not interfere with the balance between a right to health care and funding of other essential public services. So, I don't know that that has a lot of meat to it. It is interesting that they're trying to incorporate this in their Constitution, this right to health care. But you can see where defining, uh, let's see, what does it say, cost-effective, clinically appropriate, and affordable, that's extremely subjective, is it not? Extremely subjective. And then this idea that, oh, but the government can still has control over balancing, essentially what they're saying is balancing their money, their appropriations across the various services at the state level, including education, which in, I think every state of public education is the uh, number one line item that uh, general fund money, at least, is appropriated to. That's very interesting how we'll see that uh, play out. Wow. Morgan Freeman would be unbelievably perfect for game day, says Jeff in Grenada. Did Pelosi say something about Hillary? <laughs> That's a good one there on the ceasefire text line. So Thomas and Greenwood is really up in arms about this whole UMMC Blue Cross debate, and his opinion is that Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney is carrying the water for UMC. He says uh, it's Thomas's opinion that UMC is fleecing Blue Cross because they have deep pockets. I don't know if I'd say what they're asking for is fleecing them, Thomas. Yeah, I would invite you to look at the math on that. I wouldn't call it that. And he says, too bad you won't call him out for pandering to UMC for political gain, because I don't believe he is pandering to UMC for political gain. That's your opinion, Thomas. Not, not ours, and I just said it on the air so folks will know that's your opinion. I don't happen to agree with it. I do think the situation need to be, needs to be resolved. And, uh, you know, I, in my business career, when you had gaps in, in money, which is what we're talking about here, I, you know, I always look for some, some compromise where everybody wins. Maybe that's not possible here. I don't know. I haven't looked at all the details. 
but hopefully something will happen to resolve it, mainly because of my concern for the patients and the insured. That is a big problem, no doubt about it. So, let's see, Jerry in Waynesboro says, word I'm getting is Pelosi had a new gardener fresh across from fresh across the border. Mr. Pelosi speaks Spanish fluently. He kept saying he wanted to get hammered last night. So there you go. Okay there, Jerry. <laughs> oh, gosh. So um, let's see what else we got here on the ceasefire text line. Just looking through it here. Uh, all right. I think that'll, that'll, yeah, Peter Ducey will call Biden out on his gas comments. Can't wait for the spin from Corrine Jean-Pierre. Yeah, that probably will. Oh, William in Greenville. Yeah, I saw a report on this, too, William, this morning. Here's what he says. Just tried to log on to Treasury.gov to get I-bonds. These are inflation protection government securities at 9.7%, going down to 6 tomorrow. They say inflation is dropping. It's what the Treasury says, and therefore the yield on the bonds has been adjusted. The website is down. I heard that as well, that the site received uh, overwhelming traffic. Folks trying to log on, because that's how you do it, and purchase those securities, those bonds, and the site couldn't handle the traffic. And it crashed, and you're, it's non-responsive. I heard, you see it, Rhino, the same thing, right? Yeah. I, I saw that on the business news early this morning. That's incredible. Hmm. Did you see where Fetterman's wife said swimming in America is racist? Seriously, Patrick Louisville? I can't say that I've seen that. Has there been such a comment made? There was. I, I didn't have the the quote in front of me, but she was uh, quoted saying something about the mansion, quote unquote, that uh, they got for a dollar from Fetterman's sister that. He's now saying they didn't even want, but she wanted it because it had a pool that they could then open for the disadvantaged people in the neighborhood. Ah. Okay. Which never happened. Okay. Wow. Gee whiz. Um, you know, something else that somebody said, and I can't find it now, Rhino, in the text, but it was about Lieutenant Governor Hoseman as it pertains to the hospital challenges. Uh, institutions in the state of Mississippi. And you know, while the lieutenant governor, I don't think, has ever come out and just directly stated his support for Medicaid expansion, there's been a lot of talk about him leaning that way, and I think maybe not ever saying he wasn't for it. I think I think he said, and I, I'm to some degree paraphrasing here, that yeah, these are just things we need to be talking about and something to the effect all options should be on the table. Um, I think he's now of the view that that's not the best approach to deal with the uninsured in Mississippi. And I did run into Drew Snyder the other night at an event who, of course, runs Medicaid. And I don't, I don't think, I just asked him some, some data questions about Medicaid. And I'm going to share those when we come back. They're a little stunning and how this may play out as long as Biden is in office. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi.
Back in the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, St. Dominic's UMC Baptist Waiting Room, Standing Room Only. You talk about the ER? Because I've heard the same thing. And I, I think it's uh, stress on people resources, not physical resources. Just not enough people. I, that's what I've heard from folks in the medical community. And I think an outsized number of people, which is consistent with what Dr. Philippi said yesterday on our program with this RSV, she told us yesterday at her clinic, right, and she's a pediatrician, literally said, as I recall right now, line outside the door at 5.30 to get in. So, you know, my wife made an interesting observation that you, I know you know a lot about this stuff, Rhino, yesterday when I shared that news with her from Dr. Philippi. She said, you know, children build up their immune system by getting infected. By, 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 it's just part of growing up as your immune system matures and gets stronger. It's part of the development process. But when we had them all locked up, not around the other kids getting sick, not building up their immune system, and now all of a sudden we've released them, probably not where they should be at this point oh, in, yeah. in their young lives. And she attributed to some of this to that. That kind of made sense to me. Um, but, yeah, it's an issue. So let's see here. Thomas says, UMC knows Mike is up for re-election. He will side with them, so he appears to be looking out for us poor Mississippians. Nah, Thomas, I think you're misreading that, man. Mike Cheney ain't worried about his re-election in this respect. Uh, at this stage of his career, his political career. And I think he's going to get reelected rather easily. I don't even know that he has an opponent. If he does, I hadn't heard about it. I went to a fundraiser for him. Whomever's running against him better have some deep pockets. He did pretty good there. So I, I, I don't think that. But you said earlier, Thomas, should you pay more for a service than me because you're able to pay more? If not, why would... Blue Cross Blue Shield pay UMC more than another insurance company. I got to tell you, Thomas, I'm shocked at that comment. I'm disappointed. And here's why. What you're basically saying is you think there should be level price controls. You don't think that the market should come into play in market dynamics between buyer and seller. If UMC and Blue Cross want to negotiate a contract and a deal on reimbursement that's completely different. Then another insurer, I'd say that's market at work. That's that's like suggesting that everybody that walks onto a car lot is going to pay the exact same price for a vehicle, that there's no negotiating. I can tell you in my business, we didn't sell the same stuff, products or services. It was a negotiated deal between buyer and seller. And everybody didn't pay the same price. And there are no, by the way, advertised prices for that kind of stuff, generally speaking, it's, it, because it's so complex and so unique. Every project, every solution, custom architected. So, hmm. Uh, no, that's not what they're saying, Tom, so I'm not even going to read it. I think you're misreading that. But anyhow... Larry and Ma says, Delbert won't ever get reelected. Lied to us about the flag and is a straight-up Democrat. What do you mean he lied to you about the flag there, Larry? 
different. Does that mean you think Tate Reeves can't get reelected? Because I think he's another one that said he thinks the people, right? And that what he said, Rhino, when, during the campaign, as I recall, in 19, that the people ought to decide on the flag, and that's not what happened. So do you think, Larry, on that basis, he won't have to, he won't get elected, reelected? I'm not sure what Delbert said about the flag. What about, yeah, I don't know. So when you say he's a straight-up Democrat, just curious, and I've heard this a lot about the lieutenant governor, specifically in what way? I, the only thing, the main thing I've heard, I guess two or three things, is that he appointed lots of Democrats as committee chair. I've heard that. And I haven't really analyzed that to know how has that differed in the past. And then I think the other thing, right, uh, that, that you hear a lot is that he sort of was over the redistricting process and Republican Senator Melanie Sojourner was drawn out. I've heard that as a squawk against him. Um, I've heard that uh, there's a, a belief that he uh, pretty much unilaterally defeated the total elimination of the income tax. I've heard that. Uh, what what else have you heard there, Rhino? Is that, have I covered most of it? I've heard a lot of people say, well, he supports Medicaid expansion. Uh, but I don't know that he's ever come out and directly stated that. Those are the main things I would think about. So He says, we're going to elect Chris McDaniel as governor, says Larry and Miles. I don't think he's running for it. We're coming right back. We've got Martin Hegwood, author and winner of the Faulkner Literary... And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well studios on this Friday, y'all. Joining us now in the studios, Martin Hegwood, author and winner of the 2022 Faulkner Literary Competition. Martin, thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me, Gerard. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. So it's my understanding that you are the only Mississippian in the history of this international competition to win first place in the novel category of this competition. That's right. It, it's an international competition. There were maybe, I think, 11 foreign countries and 43 of the states were represented in it. And last year's winner came from New York. We've had winners from Boston, Cincinnati, a lot of the big cities, but I am the first Mississippian to, to be awarded first wow. place. That is impressive. Congratulations. Well, That's awesome. You. That's awesome. So where do you get your inspiration from when you sit down and start writing? Well, that's kind of tough. Uh, I usually start with characters and let the plot develop from the characters. Okay. Uh, I think it's very important that the first thing that a writer does, now it's it's not true for everybody. Some people can see the plot all the way to the end from the very start. I never have been able to do that. I have to formulate characters, and by that I mean write out a complete biography. I know how old they are. I know what they like, dislike, their favorite foods, and all this kind of stuff. And I have a checklist, and I get these characters to where they are so real in my mind that if walked in the door, it wouldn't really surprise me. I got you. I, uh, they have to really, really come alive in your own mind. At that point, they will basically take over the story. Okay. That, that happened um, in this particular novel. That, that really happened. 
the lead character to begin with was not the character that ended up being the protagonist of the book. Okay. The, so tell us, give us the storyline of uh, of that novel. That well, won it for you. It's it's kind of like uh, it was been it's been described as uh, uh, a deep south version of Downton Abbey, sort of. It's uh, sort of like the old Dallas TV show. It's a family saga. There are a lot of uh, interfamily squabbles and betrayals and uh, fights and, yeah. and whatever. It's it's uh, basically a power struggle uh, within a rich family in uh, in Memphis in 1919 through about I mean uh, 1999 through about 2005. Uh, it's an old storyline. A, a woman marries into the family. She didn't have social credentials. The grand dame, who is the grandmother, can't stand her and tries to run her off. So, you know, there are really no new plots in, involved. I mean, there. it's been said that there are only seven or eight plots. I've heard different numbers. But it's kind of like saying that there's, you know, there's certain rules in a football game, There, but yet there are no two football games that are alike. <laughs> that's true. They you all know? take a different life that, once, that's right. that's once right. kickoff starts. Uh, that's excellent. So, all right. So then, where do you come up with the characters? Do do some extent uh, do to some extent they sort of mirror people that you've met along uh, the way in your life? Yes, yes, they do. And I think that's true of just about every everyone. You, when you start writing this and you put it down on paper, your subconscious it, it sort of flows from there, and you will f- call up people that you haven't thought about in twenty or thirty years. And the character is not necessarily based point for point on these on these uh, people that you knew, but just certain traits, certain ways that they looked at things. It's just certain little elements. And of course, you can mix character elements from from various people you knew. But for me, yeah, the characters in the books are people that I have known, and I hope to make them people that the reader has known. Okay. Do those people know that you modeled your characters after them? No. Uh, well, at least they uh, try not <laughs> Unless to. Unless they figured out, huh? <laughs> I, well, it's kind of a funny thing. I wrote some books um, some years ago. They were mystery novels. And one of them, was they were based on the Gulf Coast. One of them involved a policeman, a sheriff down in what's now, uh, it was Hancock Parish, uh, Hancock County, I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. Uh, and, and he sort of cozied up to the rich people down there, the, the diamond head crowd, you know, people on the beach and what have you. And he was always the one that handled their squabbles. Okay. Well, I was doing an interview with a local newspaper uh, reporter down in Pascoola, who's no longer there, he's a good friend of mine, and he asked me about the book, and then he made a, a real show of closing up his notepad and saying, now listen, it's just between us. That policeman you were talking about down there was really, he named some policeman I had never heard of. I'd never heard of. And I said, no, that's 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 not who it was after. He said, oh, come on, you can tell me. Well, the truth of the matter is it wasn't. I didn't even know who this guy was. But the newspaper reporter will go to his grave believing that it was based on that person. <laughs> you know, everybody is of a certain type, and if you portray the type accurately enough, then they will pick up on somebody that they knew. Yeah. In Memphis, in this book that I've written, uh, in one scene there was – there was a group of ladies hanging around the country club, you know, the the sort of wine and sherry and yeah. bridge playing crowd. And I was describing one little scene in there. It wasn't any big part of the book. And somebody said, you must have been there. You must have been at this country club and, and seen this because you really kind of nailed this little group that they had. 
never been there in my life. Right. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you went to Indianapolis, you'd find the same group at their country clubs. So yeah. There are just certain human stereotypes and human human prototypes that appear in literature. So did you choose to, to set this novel in Memphis just because of um, your Mississippi roots? Yes, uh, to a great extent. I went to school at Ole Miss, and I knew I knew some of these people. Okay. I, I knew them. And Memphis, for some reason, although it's the prototypical southern city, mm-hmm. is underrepresented in American literature. Hmm. There are very few books set in Memphis. I'll be darned. Uh, you think about it. Now, The Firm, of course, John Grisham's book yeah. I, uh, was set in Memphis. But it really didn't play up much on the Memphis angle. It, it was sort of a – it was plot-driven. It could have been set in – Denver. Yeah. You know, it really didn't have a lot to do with Memphis. And even Faulkner's Memphis stories uh, basically were about characters from Jefferson who went to Memphis. So for some reason, Memphis, although it is a quintessential southern cotton district city, right. uh, has been underrepresented in, in American literature. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, this event where these awards are, are given occurs in New Albany, the birthplace of William Faulkner, right? The birthplace of William Faulkner. A hundred When he was 100 years old, uh, 25 years ago, they decided to start this. And, of course, it started small, this this business about giving out awards in his honor mm-hmm. his, and, and the occasion of his 100th birthday. It started small, and over the 25 years, it has grown to where it's truly taken on an international character. You know, now with the advent of the internet and laptops and what have you, uh, events that happen in a place like New Albany are are known throughout the literary world. Yeah, and and of course now, when all you have to do is press a a send signal to send your manuscript to somebody, <laughs> you know, it's just the the competition out there is really great. Uh, writing, Willie Morris said that writing is not a competitive sport, and that's true to an extent. Writers help each other out. Uh, I've always found that to be the case. But the truth of the matter is that writing, you you face more competition than you do in virtually any other form of business, if you think about it. There's there's no cost of entry. You don't have to go out and get a loan, just pencil and a piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, there's no age restriction. There's no gender restriction, race restriction. It's, it's open to everybody in the world. So your competition is anybody who can pick up a, a pen and paper. Yeah, no barriers to entry, as we refer to in industry. Yeah, exactly. So we should point out, though, that this is an international competition. There were 353 entries from 43 states and 10 foreign countries. That's correct. And you won against all that competition, as we're talking about. That's awesome. Congratulations. It it was gratifying. It really was. Uh, Why do we have so many storied and and iconic authors from Mississippi? I have heard a number of of, – thoughts about that and you know they were saying I've, I've heard before well there was so much isolation people were out in the delta of farm places well if, if isolation were the case siberia would be a literary capital <laughs> of the world true. i think that the reason mississippi has so many or, or a disproportionate number of writers is because there is an old adage that says that conflict is the heart of drama we've got all the conflict you want we've got man we've got man against nature we, we've got racial conflict. We've got uh, the rich crowd versus the the poor crowd, the, the hills versus the deltas. Uh, every natural disaster in the world has struck us, so we thrive on conflict. We, we live on it, and that's the heart of drama. That's unbelievable. Hadn't, hadn't thought about that, but 
certainly winning this award, Martin. I think your name has to be up there, right, with the uh, literary greats from Mississippi. Oh no, no, uh, no, I haven't, I haven't attained that. I don't even have an agent for this thing yet. <laughs> uh, I, I hope to to get one, and I think this will be a boost. But it, but it is gratifying. That's one good thing in Mississippi. We celebrate our writers. Yeah, that's really important. Sure, because it is a lonely task. You you. You're not going to get any help, and you can't get any help because nobody can help you. So you sit through these these lonely hours not knowing that it'll ever see the light of day. And, of course, if you can sell it and make money, that's fine. But if you get something like this, that, that's also gratifying. we got just about 10 seconds. you got something else on the boards you're working on now? Yes. Uh, I'm trying to, to work on a, a limited biography of Faulkner and the time he spent in Pascagoula in 1925 to 1929. You're a Pascagoula native, right? Yes, and Faulkner had a very rich and productive period of his young life in Pascagoula, Mississippi. People don't realize that. That ought to be good. Martin Hegwood, author and winner of the 2022 Faulkner Literary Competition. Thanks for coming on, Martin. Gerard, thanks so much for having me. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank Thank you. you. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Fourteen twenty-five and forty ninety-eight. I throw the rock and roll party on my last birthday, but it's good. I rock in my life away. I've been moving and I'm grooving and I'm getting both night and day. That selection of Rockin' My Life Away by Jerry Lee Lewis because we just learned that Mr. Lewis passed away this morning at the age of 87. 87. That's after another premature notification yeah. yesterday right. afternoon. Right. That hit the news that he had passed yesterday. Yeah. Seems like that's becoming more and more of an issue when it comes to the announcement of celebrity deaths. Yeah. Uh, who was it a couple of weeks ago that was announced as dead? That I'd, was it a golfer or something? I don't know. Some other celebrity that was kind of sounded weird. Um, uh, it seemed like it was an athlete. I don't know why I'm thinking golfer. Anyhow, Lewis, of course, many believe, was... Uh, a pioneer. And uh, you could trace rock and roll music to him to a great extent. And I think there are a lot of rock and rollers in the early years said they listened to his music and it inspired them, right? So another example of how blessed we are in Mississippi to have all this artistic talent. It's incredible to come out of here. So anyhow, we uh, rest in peace. Mr. Lewis, thanks for the music. So, let's see. Also, yeah, appreciate that. We had several folks that uh, chimed in. Larry and Miles says, well, so I don't think Chris is running for governor. I think there's a good chance he's going to run for lieutenant governor. It's just my opinion. Haven't heard that. Haven't talked to Chris. Just an opinion. And Larry says, your boy Philip Gunn lied too, but I can't vote against him. And I asked him, what did he lie about? He said the flag. Did Philip lie about the flag? 
as far as I know, he he was always a proponent of changing the flag. And first of all, and the other thing is, Larry, I don't have any boys. Just so you'll know, uh, you know, I I consider a lot of folks to be my friends, even people that I don't necessarily agree with. I I try to have positive relationships with everybody. So, um, but I hear what you're saying, and I know there are a lot of people that are upset about that. I've kind of moved on from that at this point. I've, I've found it unproductive to keep long-term scorecards. I'm way more concerned about the future, the future of our state, the future of our country, and the policy driving it. To me, that just happens to be more important than punishing people, I guess, if you could call it that, because of something they did in the past that I might not agree with. You know, my belief is, in my practice is to vote for whom I think is the most conservative candidate on the ballot that aligns with my views. And that doesn't make it perfect, but it's that's a choice you have. And, and, uh, and, and that's just the way that I approach it. Other people may have different feelings about that and feel like that they cast votes in, in a... Um, in a way that they believe inflicts retribution. That's just not my way and not my style. And I, I look, I'm not not demeaning you for that, being critical. I'm just pointing out that there, there are different people that have, I think, different attitudes when it comes to pulling the trigger in the ballot box. Some people will vote. I mean, look at the people, the legions of people in this country that just anybody but Trump, right? And won't support certain candidates such as Herschel Walker and Mehmet Oz and Blake Masters in Arizona because they're endorsed by Trump. I've never considered, to any great extent, endorsements in my support of a candidate. I'm, I'm way more focused on the worldview of the candidate, the character of the candidate, the quality of the candidate, than who may support them or who may endorse them. I'm, I'm always astonished that in our state, for example, most of the time, Republicans, if you look at their bingo cards, and I just mean like if, you know, if they were to hand you one of these cards you get in the mail that says, vote for me, and here are the bullet point reasons why you should, how they almost all look the same. You know, the NRA endorses me. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-Second Amendment. I mean, in, in other issues, but and that's fine. That's good. I mean, that's you. You got to get that out there, but it doesn't differentiate you when you're running against somebody with the same views. Then it becomes a matter of okay, well, how do you distinguish yourself from the other? Which one of these bingo cards should I vote for here? They all look the same to me. And anyhow, uh, yeah. So I just received a, a text, by the way, from someone I in government that said that Speaker of the House Philip Gunn vacillated a bit, but was always for changing it. And that's the way I remembered as well. So I think probably the figure that comes to mind more than any who who did maybe change, if you could call it change, was the governor. And, you know, but I can't... People change. You're, if, you're, if your thoughts... And your positions change as a politician. It's it's when you speak.
speak out of both sides of your mouth at the same time, that, that's a problem. Um, but if you change and you can explain and substantiate and defend your change, I think we got to embrace that because we all do that. People evolve. And maybe it's because things have happened. It typically is. Events have unfolded and you've had experiences and you've researched it to issue more and it's influenced you. Where it's a problem is if you, I think, don't explain that and, and, and you don't validate the reason for your change. But, it, you know, there could be somebody that I support, for example, that, I, that disagrees with me on a policy matter uh, at the time of their election, but they get elected, and if maybe I could influence them to change their mind on that policy matter to, to, to what I think is beneficial to society, well, I embrace that. I don't want to castigate them for changing. I, I'd like to shake their hand and say, gosh, I'm, I'm sure glad that we had this conversation or could it be multiple conversations and, and you've done your research and your homework and you've said, you know, you're right, this, this is better. And I'm certainly subject to that as well. I think we all got to be a little bit open-minded. Now, that doesn't mean to everything, obviously. There's some things that are just fundamental. Uh, anyhow, and I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit about that, but if you're looking to vote for somebody that absolutely is 100% down the line, never, ever, never, ever changes, I don't know that that person exists. Um, and if they're changing for the good, again, I think we should welcome that and support that. Anyhow, I um, I, I hate it, honestly, that, that we get into these that we get into these debates like this, I, I, I hope we can focus on moving forward in the future, and less or so on the past, because we can't undo that. And um, I think that could be said about the flag. You, you may not like the fact that the flag's changed, but it has. And if you're mad at a candidate because of their position or their changing on that, their pivot on that, I would just invite you to think about what's most important, I think, which is, is that the best person to hold that office to lead us into the future? Because the past is done, but the future is not. And we need somebody to help lead and navigate us into the future, and those are the people should be supported. Jerry in Waynesboro says, what you are preaching is right, but has no influence on election. Look who's president. Not sure what you you mean by that, Jerry. Honestly, uh, I I do think there were a lot of people that supported Joe Biden. Obviously, that really felt like he was the superior candidate. I hope they see now they were wrong. Uh, he's an example of a person who certainly doesn't govern as a so-called moderate, which is what we were all sold. Of course, we didn't hardly ever see him. He was locked up in the basement. That's wrong too. So, um, by the way, the San Francisco police, looks like it's the chief on the television right now that's talking about this attack at Speaker Pelosi's home. So I do think, though, Jerry, that to a great extent, Joe Biden's governing over the last two years. This is typically the case. 
midterms or a referendum on the president. He's presently in office. And I think Joe Biden is a great deal of the reason why Republicans are going to prevail. Because he hasn't pivoted that I can tell whatsoever from day one. Rhino, when he got in, we talked about it, 32 executive orders that were just disasters. And then a couple of months later, this 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 uh, American Rescue Plan that really put the fuel to the fire of inflation, the economy was recovering on its own, despite what he and his propaganda say, it was, it was tanking, we had to do something. No, we're coming right back. You're listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. We thank you so much for joining us today. Stay tuned. The next segment, Rhino's going to give away some tickets. And we look forward to that. Also, don't forget that high school football is in full swing and Supertop Mississippi has you covered. You can catch a local game on just about every Supertop Mississippi station. Plus, you can stream a ton of games and get up to the minute scores from across the entire state by going to supertalk.fm slash high school or by clicking on sports on the Super Talk Mississippi app, app excuse me and check out the scoreboard preview show at 6 p.m. on Fridays and then catch the Farm Bureau Insurance Company scoreboard show at 10 p.m. on Friday nights anywhere you listen or watch Super Talk Mississippi. So Vicki in Clarksdale says the point is he lied. He might go back on his word on something else. You saw his character. Who are we talking about, Vicki? So again, I, I would... I think there's a distinction between lying and then evolving on a matter. Uh, Simply facing reality. Yeah, and just having a change of heart. I I mean, I... Well, it's not even that. Like, with the the criticism of of Governor Reeves over the flag. Yeah. They had the votes to override any veto he did. It's true. So he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Yeah. If he vetoes it. You're wasting more tax dollars with everybody sitting around to override it. If he doesn't veto it, the will of the legislature is carried out. So Greg from Newton, Mississippi says, "Uh, I won't vote for Tate on account of the flag. He said he would veto, and he didn't. He did? Did he say that? I I mean, seriously, I don't don't know. I do. The thing I remember him saying... Uh, on the campaign trail was he thought that was a decision that needed to be made by the people. Um, so, I mean, I just want to get that right. He he did say that, you know, he believed that. But he he changed. He evolved on that. And again, I can't recall, honestly, if he ever came out and said why he changed. I don't know. But there were a lot of members of the House and Senate changed as well, right? And all I can say is you're right, Greg. If you don't want to vote for him because of that, that is certainly your right. Absolutely. And the same would be for members of the House and the Senate. So also on the ceasefire text line, I know 
Let's see here. We ain't got nothing bigger enough to host any SEC events anyway. And I think this is basically saying that it was all about the SEC threatening, if you don't change the flag, we're not going to have any events, not going to um, authorize any events in Mississippi. So this person says, I hope Tater gets beat, too. He lied to me about the flag. Personally, I really don't care what the flag looks like, but the people should have the right to make that the change, not the three. Let's see. I don't know. I can't follow the text here, Rhino. Uh, I know several of the senators and House reps that said they weren't going home till the flag was changed. He did. He says here he did explain his reasoning for the change. So, and I apologize. This happened so long ago. I honestly kind of forgot about that. But I would say this to this text. This idea that the people have the right to weigh in on that, you do in through your elected representatives. And, and it, really, it calls into question, should we have elected representatives, a republic form of government, where you elect representatives on your behalf that then make the laws, or should we just eliminate our legislature and our elected officials in every single law be done through some public referendum. I don't think that's practical, and that's not consistent with the Constitution and the republic form of, of government. So, you know, should we maybe adopt laws that say, okay, certain things the legislature can do from a lawmaking perspective, but others can't? Like, you can't change the flag. That's got to go to the people. Uh, gosh, I don't know. So you're really going down a rat hole here, and I'm not sure where you come out. So let's see. Um, this person said, okay, he did not explain his reasoning. He corrected it. No problem on the text line. They forced it. No voice had been voted on before needed to be. I can't follow you, Jerry. What's he saying there, Rhino? Can you, can't follow him. Sorry, man. People can be mad if they want. The original flag and the Confederate flag were adopted without public input. Just because the legislature let the people vote on it once doesn't mean they have total control. That's what Moe says. Um, and then some legislature wanted to name the bill after him. Hmm. He says, Chris from Oxford, they crawfish because the kid from Mississippi State put the pressure on everybody, and I believe the son of a gun transferred out of state to another college after we made the change. Interesting. I didn't know that. You forgot we already voted on the flag. No, I hadn't forgotten that, but it was several years prior. Now, my personal opinion is if you put the old flag on the ballot today versus the present flag, I think the present flag would win. I think... I mean, just things evolve over time. Attitudes change. Demographics change. Population changes. Um, but, you know, just because you vote on something one time, gosh, I hope that doesn't mean it's permanent, can't ever be changed forever. We don't want that in our country at any level of government. Might as well just shut it all down. We made all the laws we're ever going to make. We're done. <laughs> Go home. Shut down. So that, that gets... A little bit into the uh, the weeds. So now, certainly, 
you know, they could have put the old flag, could have been an option on the ballot. You know, I, I could see where some could reasonably assert that that, that was missing. I just still, here's the other thing, as is, is I recall, there were more votes for the flag than there were for the president. I seem to recall Secretary of State Michael Watson sharing that bit of information with us. So, uh, anyhow, I, I, it's it's a touchy one, it's a dicey one, and certainly if, if that's an issue for you with respect to the governor and you feel like that he, he dishonored a commitment there. So be it. I, I get it. Um, I, I'll just say I sure wish we could move on and focus on issues and government and policies and and uh, that would move the state forward, whomever may be running for these elected offices. I, I would just like to see us focus on that, because I don't think we're going to undo the past. And... You know, something I learned, and you guys may disagree with this, and that's fine as well, but something I learned in business that we used to impress upon, we adopted kind of as a principle in our company, was don't keep scorecards. You, if you keep scorecards, you can um, you can live a miserable life. And, and all I'm saying about that is, you know, if, if you're wanting to hold something against somebody that they did a long time ago, and, you know, maybe it's a situation where you just can't get past it, but uh, if whatever it is that person's trying to do is positive and would be beneficial, whether it's in business or in government or society, I, I don't know. I, I just think keeping those scorecards is, is uh, not the best way to go through life. Um, again, that doesn't mean compromise your principles. Not suggesting that. You never should do that. But we're all sinners. We're all flawed. We all make mistakes. Sometimes you can't get through them and it disqualifies you from earning the vote. That's fine. That's, that's why we go to the ballot box and exercise our right. It's a pretty good system in that respect. The main reason that we voted to change the flag was because of the potential divisive nature of the old flag. Let's move on, says Gary and Meridian. If you keep looking back, you will never be able to go forward. I agree with you on that. It's, I mean, you just got limited cycles. So now, if it's a concern that, gosh, this person constantly waffles and pivots, says one thing, does another, yeah, we kind of have that in the president, honestly. Of course, in his case, I really just don't think he has a clue, sadly. And on that basis, he's not qualified to be the president. The flag stuff is crazy to hear from so many at this point, says Jason. Yeah, how many of the people telling you they won't vote for Tate because the flag will actually go vote, says Mose. I don't know. People didn't choose the previous flag either. The legislature did, says Mark from Gulfport. Well, I think that just goes back, Mark, does it not, to the republic form of government, right? And um, we elect representatives to represent us, to make laws. It's, uh, it's a tough one, no doubt. I'm done talking about the flag today. we got one segment left, and we're going to give away some tickets when we come back to Brian Kilmeade in the Element Well Studios. 
You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sam from Mount Hermon says, Hello, Gerard. I have a simple solution. Just ask the man why he changed his mind about the flag and let that be. Uh, you know, if he comes on the program again, I, I don't have a problem asking him that. I, I don't know why we keep digging this up, honestly. I'm just way more focused on the future. That's all I'm going to say is that I'm more concerned about that. Um, maybe we just shouldn't have a flag. How about that? I mean, really, it's not... It's not going to bother me one way or another not to have one. I'm way more concerned about prosperity, safety, quality of life. I want to know how we get there. Rhino's got some tickets to give away. Oh, yeah. Fox and Friends host and New York Times bestselling author Brian Kilmeade is bringing his well-known humor and commentary to Mississippi for one night. He's going to tackle some of the day's hottest political topics and talk about his best-selling books. He's going to be live from the Brandon City Hall on Saturday, November 12th. Tickets for the show are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. But you've got a chance to win a pair of tickets. All you got to do is be the 10th person to text into the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Be the 10th person to text in Brian, and you'll win a pair of tickets to see Brian Kilmeade at Brandon City Hall on Saturday, November 12th. So Jeff in Forest County, I, I don't know why he wants me to talk about something that happened in 2014 during the Senate race, Senate primary, where Senator, State Senator Chris McDaniel took on sitting U.S. Senator Thad Cochran uh, about breaking into the nursing home. Yeah, I'm f- familiar with that story. I, I didn't know that's what you were talking about, Jeff. I'm extremely familiar about it. He says JT did a whole show about it. Um, I, what do you want to talk about? I mean, look, <laughs> this is something that uh, I don't know has any merit for discussion here eight years later. Should Senator McDaniel throw his hat in the ring to run for a statewide office? I feel quite confident that whomever his opponent or opponents are, is or are, are going to bring that up because that's what politicians do. They point to all the stuff in the past of a candidate that they think would be presented as a liability and would be considered as disfavorable to that candidate. So I feel like that's going to come up. At this point, I don't see the need to talk about it. That's that. And it's not because I'm trying to Make light of it or dismiss it as, as uh, not a notable issue. It's just not today, in my view. Let's see here. The past always determines the future. We lost a historical flag and gained a rainbow flag, says Jerry in Waynesboro. No. I, first of all, I'll say, as time advances, Jerry, the past becomes less relevant and less uh, an indicator of the future. 
There's no doubt about that. I don't know how you can say the flag is a rainbow flag. I assume you're re referring to the pride flag. I think that's a bit of a stretch there, uh, Jerry. Uh, but, again, the reason I say that the past becomes lesser of a predictor of the future is because there's just so much more information, so much more new invention that dictates the, the future than even existed in the past. And the cycle times and the rate of those innovations has shrunk dramatically, exponentially. Most futurists say that the amount of new information, new data, new facts accumulated between now and 2050 will be greater than all the facts and information and human knowledge accumulated from the beginning of accumulation. Just think about that, that in 25 years, we'll double it. That's because of all these tools we keep creating that enable us to produce more innovation, more facts, more information. As an example, if you went back Heck, what, Rhino, 20 years ago, you wouldn't find the word smartphone in the dictionary, probably. That's just a small example. Teeny, I mean, tiny. just look at the absolute mountain of data that's been collected from the research surrounding the Iceman Utsi that was found back in the early 90s underneath the glacier. I remember that. We know all kinds of stuff from the Bronze Age lifestyle just from looking at pollen that was on his clothes and food in his stomach and... over parts of his body that had been broken and mended as a like a, a spiritual thing. It, it's crazy, the stuff that we learned with one single mummified body up on a mountaintop. That's true. And essentially changed our understanding of history as a result of that. We're out of time here today, though, folks. We thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be back in the Element Well Studios on Monday. Have a good weekend. Until then, stay safe. God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.